Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we crack open our paranormal passports and check out the ghosts of Malta. Malta is actually a country that consists of five islands. Malta, the largest, Gosmo, Camino, and there are two uninhabited islands one called Kimumet and Filfa. Now, in Malta, which is located in the Mediterranean Sea, this small series of islands really, truly just has a, a very strategic uh, uh, placement. And through the course of history, just... I mean, Malta has this tremendous amount of history. It's actually quite unreal. I am actually not familiar with Malta. I am not Maltese. And I have to tell you, I'm impressed with how much history this series of islands has been subjected to. And just so you understand... You know, th- we're talking just a couple, uh, not a couple, but some miles away from from the south part of Italy. And they speak a combination or Maltese and or English. Now, <laughs> probably the main reason why I'm familiar with Malta is because of that fantastical fictional treasure associated with Malta. I'm, of course, referring to the Maltese Falcon, which was a book written back in the, I think, in the 1930s or 40s, and it became this massive movie hit with Humphrey Bogart, you know, the, the famous jeweled falcon that was meant to be a gift for the King of Spain and was the source of the treasure hunt in the movie, The Maltese Falcon. And... The movie does kind of shed a little bit of light to Malta, but ultimately gives Humphrey Bogart his one of his best career boosts. And if you like treasure hunts and a little mystery, and you enjoy black and white movies, then I do actually highly recommend The Maltese Falcon. Now, kind of stepping into the history to kind of, I mean, I'm impressed with the history of Malta. Like, everybody shows up at one point in time on Malta, this these series of islands. So l- let's let's delve into their their ancient civilization, their history. So starting as far back as so starting back as far back as five thousand two hundred BC, the farmers 
showed up. They were like, this is nice land. Then between 3,600 and 2,500 B.C., again, before the birth of Christ, they were like, let's build some temples because we've been here a while. And let's kind of just make our permanent marker here. Then about 800 B.C., the Phoenicians rolled up from Lebanon onto Malta. Then by 400 B.C., the city of Carthage in North Africa actually now controls Malta. Then the Romans show up in 218 B.C. And then about 60 A.D., after death, I guess. I don't. It's not really after death. I don't really remember what A.D. means. St. Paul, he, his little boat gets shipwrecked on Malta, and he, he brings Christianity to Malta. In 1870, the Arabs conquered these islands. In th- 1090, I'm trying to think of how th- 1090, the Normans rolled up. The, the British, the Vikings, the you know. Then 1283, the kingdom of Aragon they're like, we're going to take these islands for Spain. In 1412, the kingdom of Castile, again in Spain, takes Malta. And so when Aragon and Castile unite, Malta becomes part of the Spanish Empire. And I do believe that's when, and I could be mistaken because I'm not too familiar with Spanish history, but I think that's when Catherine of Aragon, no, that's when Isabella of Castile marries her cousin whose name is escaping me of Aragon hooks up and they're like we're gonna make Spain amazing but Isabella was the majority and so her husband his name is not Papito but I want to call him Papito um I can see his face Ferdinand the second of Aragon and they unite, Malta just ultimately falls under the Spanish Empire. So, uh, I mean, they haven't even sent Columbus on his way yet, and already Malta's got, like, Phoenicians, the Carthians, the Romans, Arabs, Nomads, Normans, the Norman, Nomads, Normans. But then, in 1530... The Spanish king gives Malta to the Knights of St. John. And in 1562, the Inquisition, you know, just probably wreaks havoc in Malta as well. Then in 1565, the Turks are like, we're going to take it, but they don't. They, they, They fail to take it. And in 1693... There's a huge earthquake, and Malta is severely damaged, like like really messed up. And then in 1798, now Napoleon is like, Malta's mine. I'm going to take care of this. And he keeps it basically for a couple years. And then 1800, the French surrender to the British Empire and... They basically become, Malta basically becomes part of the British Empire. Now, the Maltese aren't really too happy about this. And in 1919, they actually riot against the British. And then, you know, the British maybe kind of rethink a few things. Maybe. 
1921, they give Malta a new constitution and they get their very first prime minister, a gentleman by the name of Joseph Howard. Then, the when World War II hits, it is it becomes very everyone becomes very aware of how vital Malta, again in its location, is very vital, strategically speaking, to winning the war, and because they had already been under the British Empire the Malta gets converted into basically a couple bases and places for the Allied powers. Now, unfortunately, as such, it also gets pretty heavily destroyed and bombed by both the Germans and the Italians. And by the end of World War II, Malta is pretty much destroyed. Now, afterwards, they eventually become... Uh, independent from Britain, and they end up joining the Commonwealth in 1964 and becomes a republic on December 13th, 1974. So, I mean, these little series of islands just have this incredible amount of history and this incredible amount of just influence. I mean, everybody rolled up on Malta at some point in time. And it goes without saying, with all this history and the devastation between the earthquake and the destruction caused during World War II, that this place is without a doubt haunted. So let's dive in. Let's let, let's crack open our paranormal, you know, passport and and learn about the ghosts that are haunting Malta. We'll start off with the Blue Dolphin House in Valletta. Now this house resides on St. Ursula Street. And this story, the story I'm about to share, this ghost story, (laughs) is set during the time when the British still ruled Malta. And this was obviously, I think, around the time of World War II. Two British soldiers meet a beautiful Maltese woman. And she's like, hey, you guys want to come back and hang in my crib? (laughs) To use terrible 2020 (laughs) slang. They're like... Yes, governess, we should like to hang with you in your crib. And they show up at the house, and she's like, oh, snaps, I forgot my key. So they kind of, like, break in, but they help her get into the house, and they just like, oh, my God, your house is beautiful. And they, you know, keep each other company, do what uh, three people do, <laughs> I guess. And... They leave, and one of the British soldiers realizes that he had forgotten his silver cigarette case, and they decide, hey, we're going to go back and get it, because, I mean, this is silver, and it's important to me. And when they return to the house, to their shock, the entire house is in absolute ruins. In fact, the house had actually been abandoned for decades. But the curious part is, is that... People have claimed to see lights flickering on inside. And again, the house is abandoned. There is no electricity going on. There's no source of light. But the catch is, is that the British soldier, having found his way back into the house, actually finds his cigarette case there. Moving on to the Villa San Sushi Suki 
my Maltese is not good. My French is not good. My Spanish is even worse. And I'm, you know, you think my Spanish should be a little bit okay, but no. Anyways, Villa Sans Sushi in Marsas Locks. Now, this villa, this home, was actually, the plans were drawn up, and it was constructed by a professor by the name of Salvatore Luigi Pezzani. And he built this in the 1870s. And it was his home until he died in 1908. Now, when he died, the house got passed on to family members, and the family members would use it as a summer residence. But then they started kind of using it as a guest house in the 1930s. And then in the 1940s, it actually gets sold to the Royal Air Force so it could be used as a base. Again, remember, Malta during the 1940s was a very strategic hotspot. Now, after World War II, the home, the villa gets, you know, abandoned. The Royal Air Force picks everything up and leaves. And unfortunately, like many abandoned places, it becomes basically a hot spot for people to investigate, loot, vandalize, do whatever they want. Now, people who have gone in or hanging around nearby have heard weird noises coming from inside the villa. And, it, and it's funny because the noises are actually constant. Those who have actually gone in to take pictures, for some reason their cameras don't work so well. And those who have also been in have had reported the sensation or the feeling of the sense of dread and feeling like you know paranoid, like they're being watched you know, the overall sensation of not being welcomed there. And this place is actually considered to be one of the most haunted houses in Malta. Now, let's talk about the Veranda Palace and Basquet. This palace was built in 1586 during the reign of Hugh Lubinix de Verdali. He was the 51st Grand Master of Malta, I'm not really sure what that term means. If I had to speculate, it's like a governor, perhaps. But, and so, th and so the, the Grand Masters live there. And during the 70th Grand Masters reign, a, a gentleman by the name of Emmanuel de Rouen Polduc, he decided that his niece was going to marry this guy. And the niece was like, oh, no. No, 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 no. He's not my guy. And she was like, N that, no, he's, no. And the gentleman heard he was apparently a, I think he was a knight. So what ended up happening was the knight was like, mm, okay, well, since you're not going to marry me, I'm going to go ahead and lock you in your room at the palace. Now, I'm not really sure why or how this was a thing that the Grand Master would allow this to happen. I mean, if she didn't want to marry him, I don't think locking her in was the 
best course of action and why this guy has a say, I don't know. So obviously there's either something more or I don't, or these are just evil people. I don't know. Point is, she once she got locked in, she tried to escape out the window, and sadly, she fell to her death. And it is said, ever since she had died, her ghost has been seen around the palace, and she is seen in what they consider her iconic blue dress that she died in. And in addition to seeing her around various places, it is also said that she likes to stand in the reflection of mirrors. And so one of the most prevalent sightings is when the then governor of Malta, a gentleman by the name of Field Marshal Lord Methium, had offered her old room to the, uh, his buddy, his friend, his guest, a gentleman by the name of Howard Jones. Jones saw her. In fact, he kept seeing her in the mirror to the point where he finally just said, Good governor, what's with this cheek, cheeky late I keep seeing in the mirror? I'm sure he did not have a British accent, but still, just the same. And as such, she's frequently seen hanging out. And, and people who attend the annual August Moon Ball, which is a ball that is held at the palace, has reportedly seen her several, several times. So she still likes to party. She still likes to get jiggy with it. But sadly, she's there. And in addition to seeing her, and we're talking staff, we're talking guests, we're talking everybody, in addition to seeing her, they've also had a lot of strange paranormal occurrences that doesn't make sense, and they kind of blame her for it. Now, when I do my research, I generally like to include places to eat, places to stay, and sometimes I, I can come up with some really good stuff, you know, like New York, tons of places, tons of hotels, Malta, not so much, but it, in its history, in its heyday, let's talk about the Splendid Hotel on Straight Street, this this Splendid Hotel is located on Valletta as well. Now, this particular area where the hotel is, it was known to be Malta's original red light district. If you don't know what a red light district is, that's where the gentleman would go to find a lady or somebody special for a few minutes kind of person. Anyways... So, this particular area was just laden with brothels and pubs and bars. And, of course, during World War II or during the British Empire rule, that's where the British sailors would go to blow off steam to, to meet prostitutes and basically have a, a all-around good time. Now, aside from the Splendid, the Silver Horse, the White Star, the Egyptian Queen, and other places were part of the Red Light District area. But with regards to the Splendid Hotel, 
Sometime in the 1960s, an argument broke out between an escort and a client, and unfortunately the woman was killed in a bathroom of the hotel. I've read accounts where it's upstairs. I've read accounts where it's on the bottom floor. Either way, she's found stabbed to death in the bathroom. And since then, her ghostly apparition has been seen. And she is occasionally a little pissed off, probably because she's been murdered. And probably no justification for her murder. And it is known that she will, in her anger and frustration, throw furniture across the room. And the thing is, is that despite this past history, it is now currently being used for art expositions and other events. So people can see her. People have seen her. She also will walk through the halls, and she just she's still very much alive in the afterlife. At the Splendid Hotel. Okay. Medina. So this one, when I did my research, this particular story kind of popped up in all the different articles that I read. So, this is the story of the ghost of a woman who basically is just walking the streets of Medina. And it is said that she's wearing the traditional Maltese Galena. Gonalina, Gonella. Again, my apologies to the to Malta. <laughs> Don't speak Maltese. Maltese. And it is said that you can see her because she usually stands very quietly at the end of dark streets, basically beckoning people to come forth to follow her, and then she'll turn. And she'll walk through walls. Like, come to come with me, and then she's gone. Now, I don't know if this is the same girl or this is a separate girl, but there's the story of a young bride named Katerina. Now, Katerina was... I kind of heard two different versions first version I heard was she was being assaulted by a knight, and she killed him. The other version is the knight had assaulted her, and as an act of revenge, she killed him. And, of course, you know, the <laughs> I don't want to get started about the unfairness of the fucking double standard here. The knight's behavior isn't called into question. Her murdering him is, though. Okay? So she goes before the judge, and she gets sentenced to death. She goes to court. They're like, you're guilty. And she's like, okay, listen. I take what you're saying, but can you please grant me this one wish? And the one wish was that she get to marry her one true love. So that's what they do. They allow her to have this marriage. They, they marry her and her true love, and then they behead her. Now, as it is, it is said that her headless ghost in her, you know, in her bridal dress t- has is hanging out to the point where people, tourists, who are going around taking selfies, taking pictures, come to find out later 
that they have the image of a headless bride in their pictures. And, I mean, but she also appears, and this was kind of one of the confusing parts, she supposedly appears to widows, to men with broken hearts, and she's like, hey, give up on love, come join me in death. But I don't know, again, it's not very clear if she's got her head when she's talking, because that's what you need to talk, or what. So, I mean, is she, you know, playing both sides? Sometimes she's headless when she wants to, you know, take a headless selfie. I don't know what a good term for that would be, but either way. And then she's got her head on, <laughs> get it, when she's trying to lure men to their deaths. I don't know. All right, moving on to the Manol Island in Gizra. That would be my guess. Now, this place was initially a bishop's residence. It was his home. Now, like a lot of other places, Malta suffered from outbreaks of the plague, outbreaks of cholera, and in 1592, with the outbreak of the Black Death, the Black Plague, this island basically gets fortified, and it houses, like I said, the Black Plague victims, the cholera victims, and essentially this island is just covered in death. People just basically come here to die. And ever since these days of the plague and the these prolonged deaths, people who have worked on the island have spoken or have said, oh my God, <laughs> the ghosts are all around. And, you know, they're just watching the workers as they're tending to the maintenance of the fort. In addition to the unfortunate victims of the plague and cholera, there is a former knight dressed in full suit, black armor, that also has made his appearance. And as it was, when the British took over and decided to use this part of, of Malta as a hospital and started housing troops, they started seeing the ghosts and this particular night and just like the rest of Malta when it was bombed repeatedly during World War II after the war they went to do some cleanup and that's when they realized that the burial area the church where this night is buried had been destroyed by vandals and that the night's remains had been scattered around the church. So basically people fucked with this night, this poor knight's burial site, and he was a little pissed about it. So they went ahead and they gathered him up and they buried him properly. His crypt was restored and all the rites were given again. And the knight actually went away because his final resting place was no longer desecrated. And he was gone. The second they, f they, they did everything right by him, he was gone. However, in 1980, he began reappearing. And just like last time, his appearance was because his crypt, once again, had been vandalized. And once again, they had to address that. And I mean, I think that's pretty 
pretty interesting that he's around long enough to recognize when someone desecrates his his grave, but he's McChillin in between the desecrations. <laughs> okay, so this island, again, it's got a lot of history, a lot of deaths, and obviously between the hospital and the plague and the night, that this one island, this one fortification has got to be Pretty, pretty, laden with paranormal activity. Okay, let's talk about this weird farmhouse. So this place is called Dar Ixigajint. It's in Magar. And this house, this old farmhouse, is basically in the middle of a very unattended farm in the countryside of Magar's countryside. And it's abandoned, and maintenance is not happening. And it is said that despite the, the exterior look and the fact that it's deteriorating, inside the house is always clean. It is very meticulous. It is as if something is living and existing and maintaining the interior of the home. And just... Unreal. And on top of that, it is said that people can hear classical music coming from the house at night. You know, this actually kind of reminds me, when I read this, this kind of reminded me of a state park here in California. The park is called Bodie. It's the town, town of Bodie, where it just looks like everyone just walked, just got up from when they were seated and just walked out of the area left their homes, left everything, and was never looked back. So when I read this, this actually gave me Bodie vibes, and I was like, Whew, "Okay, all right, let's talk." I mean, the, that's you know, that's the thing about Malta that I that I think surprised me the most was the diversity of all the things that they have going on here, and it's just a by comparison, we're not talking a large area of land. We're talking five islands, two of which are inhabitable, and just amazing stuff. Let's talk about Fort St. Angelo and Burgo. Burgu. So this was a Bastan fort located in Burgu, and it was actually built as a castle called the Castra Marius, Castle by the Sea. And this eventually serves as the main headquarters for what would be considered or called the Great Siege of 1565. And if you remember what I said, the Turks tried to take Malta, but they'd failed to capture it. So this is what they call it, the Great Siege. And this siege actually goes on for months. I think I read somewhere about three months. And as such, 40,000 people get killed in this one area. And we're talking just horrific types of deaths. We're talking people get stabbed. We're talking people die from hot oil being poured onto them. We're talking warriors who basically had their heads being blown off by cannons. A cannonball took off their heads. And... You know, the siege alone, these 40,000 dead, creates a bad juju and is a source of massive hunts. However, there is one ghost that tends to stand out 
despite the 40,000 dead. And it is the ghost of the Grey Lady. And her story actually begins during the what they call the Sicolo Norman times. So I think prior to this, a couple hundred years prior to this. So we're talking this Chicka Chicka Boom Boom had the eye of the governor. And the governor at the time was a Captain de Nava. And the Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, the side chick, was like, I'm tired of having to live these lies and secrecy. And she's like, I deserve to be treated like your wife. Mm, You're the side chick. I don't know about that. And the governor was like, the captain, El Capitan, was like, no, 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 no. We need to keep this little humdinger under wraps. And he orders his men, his guards, to just send her away. The guards, instead of just sending her away, they kill her. And then they put her body in the fort's dungeons. And they're like, we did it. Problem solved. And the captain's like, that is not what I told you to do. And he kills him. He kills him for not following simple orders and for killing her. So they die. However, the gray lady, as early as the 1900s, has been seen. And various people have seen her. Children have seen her. And they're like, she's nice. She looks sad, but she's nice. And others have said, ooh, this chick is on fire. She's kind of a rude bitch. Very beautiful, very sad, but she throws furniture around too. I don't know what it is about multiple women, but they're throwing furniture around. And there's even a story that says during World War II, again, World War II was very essential, she appears, and she ends up saving the lives of some soldiers who were about to die because of, the, you know, like I said, the Germans and the Italians were bombing the hell out of Malta. She makes an appearance, and she ends up saving some of the lives, supposedly. Now, it is also said that the psychic, this, this Maltese witch, whichever, actually ends up exercising the ghost, And since then, the Grey Lady has never been seen since. However, with the other soldiers, many also think that Ottoman soldiers, the Turks, who were executed are also still hanging around. And again, we're talking pretty brutal deaths here. And this may not be deaths that they're used to, you understand. It's kind of like um, during World War I with the release and the use of mustard gas and, you know, the soldiers who were coming back who had seen the horrific ways that their fellow soldiers died because of these mustard gas just was overly traumatic even for those who had survived and just unreal. And I, and I kind of suspect that, that was kind of what was going on here at this fort and hence that's why some of the soldiers who weren't used to the horrors of war, their ghosts are still lingering, if I had to guess. Now, another cool thing that you can see in Malta is they have a multitude of catacombs. I mean, these guys have literally been around for thousands of years. And it's a little islands, people. So, you know, they started burying their people underground. Now, before we go, I wanted to mention two prisons. The reason why is because, I mean, 
with Malta being as old as it is, I mean, the Phoenicians were there, guys. The Phoenicians were talking, like I said, centuries years old. So the old prison in Victoria, Malta, has 500-year-old graffiti. I mean, can you imagine? The United States is not even, like, we're not even at 250 years yet, guys. And we did not have prisons like this. Old prison in Victoria. They got graffiti. The prison at Fort St. Angelo, okay? The same one where these Turks, the Ottomans, the Grey Lady, people with blown-off heads are hanging around, actually housed Caravaggio, the Italian painter. And, I mean, he's got dramatic art all over Italy. I've seen them. And, I mean, you go there and you can just see the scratches on the prison walls. And it's just, and we're talking, you know, a prison dating back as far back as 1532. So we're talking 500 years old as well. And the cool thing is, is that because this has been used for the last 500 years and they've had all these different various people coming through Malta, the graffiti is actually in various different languages. So one that I wanted to highlight was an inscription by a knight who was in the prison because he had been accused of stealing silver from the church and was accused of melting it down. He wrote, John James Sandilin, imprisoned in this living grave where evil triumphs over good to the satisfaction of my enemies. So much for friendship. I mean, that's pretty intense. And then the guy actually, they execute him for the, for the crime of theft. And then there's even, like, family echelons, family crests inscribed in the walls. This is pretty impressive how much, I mean, they had no, nothing to do. It's not like prison today. So they just took to scribbling onto the walls. And I just really find that to be very powerful to, to, to be hanging out or have this still in 500-year-old prisons. Now, those who remember when I went to the, to the forts in Puerto Rico, the Spanish forts, and it was, like, really hot, I mean, I don't know how they did it. I honestly do not know how they did it. Now, one last thing before we go. I want to mention this really cool scenario in... England, they have Stonehenge. In Ireland, they have Newgrange. Okay, I've been to Newgrange, and I have been to Stonehenge. In Quirinda, Malta, they have their version of Stonehenge. They have a solar temple that is perfectly aligned with the winter solstice and the summer equinox. And when the light goes through the Madaha's lower temple, it will light up the building's main area. And it's just phenomenal. And when they've excavated this particular area, they came to realize that this, the Manharata, again, I'm probably mispronouncing this, and I really do apologize to Malta. <laughs> it was a place of ceremonial sacrifices, they had found flint knives, restraining ropes, okay, that, that kind of creeps me out, animal remains, and as well as what they think 
we're very primitive hospitals for, that served as a place for like surgeries and as a place for healing and oddly enough a place worshiping or promoting fertility so the, which i find very interesting very very interesting and again malta just has this amazing history that i mean i'm impressed with so and i did actually reach out to a couple of people in malta to kind of help because you know one of the things that does make me a little sad on the inside is i i'm not very good saying these names and you know having guest speakers who know how to pronounce these places and can explain a little more deeper and more cohesively (laughs) than I can. It just makes, I think, a better podcast. But unfortunately, everyone that I reached out to never responded. So, But Malta sounds amazing. And I've said this before, Scotland's on my radar. Spain is on my radar. Iceland is on my radar. But Malta's definitely there. I'm, I'm very impressed and again, just the variety of different haunted places and amazing temples. I mean, I literally had my pick of all the things to kind of discuss on tonight's episode. Either way, that is what I have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I have a Facebook page. And if you're curious or interested and would like to join, send a request. And in the meantime, if you have a serial killer or a place or a haunted story or a UFO story that you'd like us to cover, send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Corners is plural. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 